I mean, you were saying it a few minutes ago, Sarah, like, what do you know when you're with me? Even in this podcast, when you can't see my face or smell me or feel me or touch me, you can hear me. What do you know about yourself and about life when you're with me? And as, as you think about that, and you think, gosh, I do know some things about life simply being in her presence. And one of the things that I intent that you know, Sarah, is that in my presence, no matter what, wherever I am, that you will know yourself as a loving, glorious, hot shit possibility. That's my, that's my offering to you. That's my gift to you. So the question is, have I kept my promise? Hell to pod- the yeah. All, all the listeners who are the poddling people that are listening, have I kept my promise with you that uh, you know yourself as glorious, loving, and hot shit possibility. Not just a little possibility, not a puny possibility, <laughs> bold, glorious, hot shit possibility. Because you know if there's hot shit, there's a pony there. <laughs> there's alive and awake to being alive and awake. Packing for crazy town. Packing for crazy town. Hi, this is Sarah Allen. The next 90 minutes are an ivy drip of undiluted brilliance. Thanks to Diane Connolly, author of Medicine Words, Language of Love for the Treatment Room of Life, and so much more. So other than to say that I have never been a part of a conversation like this, and frankly never heard anything like it, if you're looking to try and stay balanced, conscious and positive in unexpected times, This is a treasure trove, and I'm supremely glad to bring it to you. You can go to PackingForCrazyTown.com to learn more about Diane and the podcast. Thanks. Welcome to episode number three of Packing For Crazy Town, and we are back with Diane Connolly from uh, Columbia, Maryland. Actually, I'm yeah. I'm three thousand miles away, and that's where you are. Yes. And are you comfortable there at uh, Prescott Studios? I am comfortable. <laughs> yes, and I'm. I was reading something today, and I, I thought it's actually a good way to start. Okay. Um, can I read it to you? Please. So listen up. Okay. Okay. Listen up. Listen up, everybody. Inspired by Pascal's Pensee, a little old lady goes to the bank with a satchel filled with $100,000 in cash and asks to open an account. The cautious banker asks where she got the money. Gambling, she says, I'm very good at gambling. Intrigued, the banker asks, what sorts of bets do you make? Oh, all sorts, she says. For example, I will bet you $25,000 right now that by noon tomorrow you will have a butterfly tattoo on your right buttock. Well, I would love to take that bet, says the banker, but it wouldn't be right for me to take your money for such an absurd wager. Let me put it to you this way, says the woman. If you don't bet me, I'll have to find another bank for my money. Now, now, don't be hasty, says the banker. I'll take your bet. The woman returns the next day at noon with her lawyer as a witness. The banker turns around, drops his pants, and invites the two to observe that he has won the bet. Okay, says the woman, but could you bend over a little just to make sure? The banker obliges, and the woman concedes, counting up $25,000 in cash from her satchel. The lawyer, meanwhile, is sitting with his head in his hands. What's wrong with him, asks the banker. Ah, he's just a sore loser, she says. I bet him $100,000 that by noon today, you'd moon us in your office. (laughs) (laughs) So why I think that's a really good way to start is that all of life is a gamble. And here we are. (laughs) Oh, I thought it was related to Donald Trump. (laughs) 
<laughs> well, it is in a certain way because, you know, we have to act uh, in love. We can't act without compassion. We can't act without – we have to also, though, be very clever and creative in how we go about this dance of being alive. Uh, so I'm here to have some conversation out loud to say some of the things that I hold dear about being alive. And um, and you're my friend and my good listener, so I am ready to have a conversation, Sarah, to see. I mean, here we are, really. We're here on this day in May, the seventh day of May in the year 2017, and it could be otherwise, and one day it's going to be otherwise, but not yet. So we're still here with this holy breath, and I call it holy breath because it's a gift. We didn't earn it. It's not owed to us. So I love having this holy breath time with you. And I, I was reading today something like we have like a, a million breaths in a year, just simply like 15 every minute. So this holy breath that we've been given that actually is the outline for our whole life. Like Gurdjieff says, time is breath. It's what we have between now and when we don't have it anymore. So I'm really happy to have this breath time with you, my sweetheart, Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, you are. And actually, I'm saying the same thing to everybody who's listening. You know, this is, there's no such thing as stranger, just a friend you haven't met yet. And so I'm saying beloveds to everyone because it's so. We're from the great oneness together, from the, from the quantum soup and we, I don't know, we're here for about 100 years max. You know, that's about the length of a human life. So in 100 years, none of us who are speaking and listening will be here. Um, but we're here now. So the question is, what am I doing with being here now? Well, that is and the one question. Of the things that, yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, the, the reason why I'm so excited to have you back for episode number three after kicking off Packing for Crazy Town with you is that I didn't want the audio quality to be a distraction. <laughs> so um, <laughs> I know that Dave at Prescott Studios is taking good care of you. Um, and mm -hmm. one of my favorite things about 2017 is that nobody has any idea what's coming next. Not tomorrow, not next week, yeah. not June, not July, not September. Yeah. And to me, that is exciting. <laughs> that no one can possibly know what's about to happen. It's happening each time for the first time, for the only time. Right. So the mm -hmm. question is, what, uh, what can you bring to us from, from the Wuxing, from ancient Chinese energetics, from the Dance of the Five, that can help us fortify our own personal spaceships so that without knowing what's going to be asked of us tomorrow you know, we're going to be ready for anything and ready to do it with a smile on our face. Mm. Readiness is really a declaration because here we are. We don't know which is first, our death or tomorrow. None of us do. You're not more mortal than I am. And every one of the listeners, we don't know who's next. Each of us is next in terms of this holy breath that we've been given. And, and so it really outlines who we are as human beings that... We have this moment in time and space to make our offerings, and it's said that we, each of us is a being's poem. We're a poetry of being, each of us, and not the same. My curriculum's not the same as yours. 
yours is not the same as your son's. Your son's is not the same as his next door neighbor. Each of us is here to make our offerings. And so we know we belong because we're here. And the question is, how do we help each other make the offerings? How do we be good medicine for each other? One of my favorite definitions of medicine comes from the Cherokee when they say, medicine is anything that helps us live and that helps us live with grace and gratitude and helps us live with joy and helps us live with sweetness of being, helps us live so that we can bear whatever it is that life will ask of us and we don't know what life will ask of us and when and how we know that we're here and that my, you could say my duty and my privilege with you is to make offerings that come from the life that has lived me for these 71 years. I've been around the sun 71 times 71 cycles of seasons, and the way life has lived me already belongs to all of the rest, all who are listening, because like my face, I'll never see it except by reflection. Like you'll never see your face either except by reflection. So we belong to each other already, and every way life has lived me already belongs to you. And so as I think about what has helped me along the way and what helps me even now as we're doing this, the reason I said yes about doing this poddling is because I figure we are all poddlings and that we all have some offering and that, um, that it's useful and purposeful and beautiful to make our offerings to one another. It's kind of like being in the marketplace of being, you know, the marketplaces where each of us brings to the marketplace of being whatever way life has lived us and said, here's what I've turned my sufferings into. I've turned them into offerings. So here are my offerings. It's the same word, actually, offering and suffering. One is what we bear, which is suffering. And one is what we bring from what we bear, which is the word offering. And, and one of the ancient wisdoms is really comes from, I think it was Chuang Tzu who first said it, my barn having burned to the ground, I can now see the moon. We don't want our barns to burn, but we have circumstances and our barns burn. The question is, what do we know that we wouldn't without that squawky bit, without that suffering, without having to bear that? I have a beloved, I call my patients my beloveds, because they are. They come and they ask me, will I be theirs? And tell me that I, that they are mine and that we are in this together. And so, one, she can't swallow in the way you and I can swallow. And when I said, Dory, um, what's the offering and the suffering? She didn't hesitate a moment. She said, my son Benjamin will never, ever, ever forget the gift that it is to swallow. And realizing that every single thing, that everything is on the way, not in the way. It's part of the way. And the question is, what do I make of it? And what meaning do I make of it? And how does that help me live? And how does that help you live since we belong to one another already? So I'm really glad to be here pondering out loud and thinking these thoughts. This is not a canned happening. I don't have anything that um, is memorized for you to hear, except maybe some of the poetry, which I think is very good use of language to say some things that actually help us um, remember our beauty and our goodness and to remember that we belong here on this earth. How we know is because we're here. So. I have a, uh, I do have a poem that comes to mind. I didn't write it, but it's in the book, The Rag and Bone Shop of the Heart. And it goes like this. Someone dancing inside us learned only a few steps. The do your work in 4-4 four, four time, and what do you expect waltz? 
she, he hasn't seen yet, these other possibilities, the dark-eyed one standing away from the lamp, the one who knows the rumba and these strange steps and jumpy rhythms from the mountains of Bulgaria. If they dance together, this old and this new, something unexpected will happen. If they don't dance together, it's no big deal. It's just that we'll go on a lot like we've been. Hmm. And so that poem reminds me that we've learned some ways of being, and it's not the end of our life. While we still have breath, we can learn other ways of being that help us live more beautifully and that help us live more peacefully and that help us live more generously with one another, making room for one another side by side by side. Seven and a half billion two-leggeds, not to mention all the four-leggeds and the fins and the beaks, all of us here at the same time on this one good earth with one sun shining on all of us and one air for all of us and one holy water for all of us one Pachamama rainforest for all of us. And one, the great oneness is, belongs to all of us is a shared world. And to think that it's a shared world helps me remember that it's not just mine and it's not all up to me. It's up to how do we create a community of friendship here on this earth with whomever's around us? How do we, how do we love one another? And that love is not a word that's a Pollyanna word or a pablum or a feel-good or a sentimental idea. It's actually, how do we go bo balls and ovaries to the wall for each other? How do we love each other? And it's one thing to say, and I'll love you forever, but what I want to know is, will you love me Thursday morning at 8, <laughs> eight o'clock? Not, <laughs> not a kind of pablum of, I'll love you forever. Well, well it's well and good, but even when it, when it's more of a practice than at other times. So, so I'm glad to be here and I'm open for more conversation. Well, um, I think that we're all being called to remember how to practice. And that reminds mm -hmm. me of this word anamnesis that I read in your fantastic book, Medicine Words, Language of Love from the Treatment Room of Life. Uh-huh, yes. Remind me about anamnesis. Well, an anamnesis is a word that's not used very much, but although in the phrase Amnesty International, it's the root of that word, the, that phrase, because it's recalling our forgetfulness. It's coming back from our forgetfulness. It's a deep recollection of being. And so you could say, Sarah, that um, an example of an anamnesis moment would be, when did I first know that I was here? And that I that it could be otherwise. So when did I, when, when was I first conscious of being here, and how many times along the way um, does life call me to say, "You who wake up." I mean, the definition of Buddha is the one who woke up, and waking up to that we are here. As Emily Dickinson says, "Ah, now that I now I see that I see." So it's being awake to perceiving and interpreting and knowing that I'm perceiving and interpreting. And so being awake to being awake and having that, uh, that anamnesis moment, that recollection of being, the coming back from forgetfulness of the very fact that we're here at all and that it will be otherwise one day. And so all the great traditions that I've been able to study and research all talk about death as being a wisdom practice and that 
if I can remember that what I have right now could be otherwise, that then I can remember to have every moment no ho-hum about anything. And I'm aware of being in practice, in acupuncture practice, which is actually applied philosophy practice, for 48 years, that, um, that every yoo-hoo, every squawky bit that happens is a wake-up call. It says, yoo-hoo, you're here at all. I mean, if I have a headache, what's the first thing I can know? Is I have a head, and that I'm here, and that it could be otherwise. And so the, so the question really is, do I need a crisis in order to wake up? What actually keeps me awake to being here and to being the presence of life as joy and the presence of life as grace and gratitude and the presence of life as deep unknowing and the mystery that it all is and to be here to see new possibilities and to be here to, like the word enlightenment points to, to be the presence of light and to have some lightness of being and not to take myself so darn seriously or anybody else. So it's to, it's to smile. I mean, not only do the Cherokees say that smiling is good medicine, but smiling is actually something that we can all do and give to one another. In fact, I think in the country of Bhutan, um, the national gross happiness is considered as important as the nat national gross product. And in fact, I think they add smiles to the gross national product to add to the riches of the country. So joy is part of the experience of being alive. And the question is, how can I generate joy and how can I help you generate joy so that we have some more lightness of being and that we have, so I, what I notice is that laughter and joy cuts right through pain, at least for a moment. And so how do I be the presence of joy with you and for you? How do I help you shine? How does I help, do I help your sun shine? Well, I do notice that even, even in the way you text and email, you don't just walk your talk, you embody it. You never vary from showing up fully. I, I should read some of your texts. They are amazing. Um, well, uh, well, you know, Sarah, I mean, I'm seriously in practice. We're not all here all that long on the earth. And my mother, Irene, who died 16 years ago, she said, Diane, life is short, kiss it. And kiss it now, it's full of holy bumps. They all need to be kissed. And so the practice of being not just a good idea to kiss it, but to actually literally kiss it. I mean, I've been accused of, you kiss people you don't even know. <laughs> I said, yes, because, because I, I won't leave this earth without having kissed enough and been, knowing, my, knowing myself as beloved and knowing you as beloved. Um, <laughs> I mean, how could we not? There's a wonderful song that the children... Um, who try out for the Harlem Children's Choir sing, and it's, I'm gonna sing it right now, because it's very beautiful, and um, the words are meant for all of us, and so it goes like this. How can anyone ever tell you you are anything less than beautiful? How can anyone ever tell you you are less than whole? How could anyone fail to notice that your loving is a miracle? How deeply you're connected to my soul. And those are words that belong to every one of us, from every one of us, if we were awake to be able to do that and to sing that, to say that to one another, to remind each other of how good and worthy we are to be loved. 
So, so I am in practice, you're right, and I take it profoundly seriously. And I think when I feel bad is when I shut down any bit at all. I mean, if I close down even a little bit, if I, if I don't have my heart open, and when I say my heart open, I mean to the pain as well, um, then I've shut down some. And then when I, f I don't feel as well when I've shut down even a little bit. And I bet you don't either if you shut your heart down. I mean, it's the safest way of being is to keep our heart open. We're not getting out alive anyway, any one of us. So to keep our heart open is really a way that says, okay, I'm here, I'm yours, life, and you're mine, and I'm giving myself to love. So I am in practice, you're right about that, and it is about being bodied, because the road to hell is paved with good ideas and good intentions, but it's not a good intention. It's a practice that I'm talking about, moment by moment by moment. And the world does need to be kissed, and the world does need to know that there are other possibilities besides the do your work in 4-4 four, four time and what do you expect, Waltz? There are other possibilities like the rumba and the strange steps and jumpy rhythms from the mountains of Bulgaria, ways of being I haven't learned yet that will help us. And so we're all here together learning some ways of being and also learning that with all the circumstances, all the circumstances that we have, we do have a choice, each of us, as to how to be with that circumstance. That's a choice that no one can make for me and no one can take from me. It's what uh, Viktor Frankl talked about in his book, Man's Search for Meaning, is that he came to call it the last human freedom, the freedom to choose my response to the circumstance. Nobody can take that from me, no matter what the circumstance is. And so, and so we're here making choices. And when I wake up in the morning, one of my practices is, is to um, design a mood for the day, a mood that's big enough, not just for me to live in, but for us to live in together because it's personal to me, but it's not private. Because you know if you walk into a room and there's, and I heard Shauna speaks, say this in her pod, when she, you know, if you walk into a room and somebody's suffering, you know that one way or another. If somebody's joyful, you know that one way or another, because in their presence, you also experience something about the human suffering and the human joy. And so it's, it's knowing that we're in this um, together. It's a little bit like in baseball, which is a good time to be talking about baseball right now, um, it, with the Orioles playing their games and winning a lot of them. In this neck of the woods, it, that matters a lot to a lot of people. But when the pa bases are loaded, and I say the bases are always loaded and are being alive, when somebody hits a home run, everybody comes home. It doesn't matter who hits the home run, but everybody comes home. And so I'd like to think that when each of us hits a home run with this dance of being alive, that we all come home, we all learn a little bit more, see a little bit more of what's possible in being and loving. And, and I'm very aware as I'm speaking, Sarah, about, and you know him, he took his last holy breath on October 5th, and that was Bob Duggan, who was my partner for 51 years. And so his son, our son, Blaze, and our daughter, Jade, and his wife, Susan, um, and I were with Bob when, we, when he took his last holy breath. And, the realization how much courage it takes to be alive and then how much courage it takes to breathe out our last. And how being with him, realizing the terrible beauty that each of us has to face of when the call comes and we have to go. Um, so, and we don't know when that time is. But we, so it's, it's realizing that um, with Bob's passing, that, that last holy breath, that 
um, I still have this holy breath. He doesn't anymore, but I do. What will I do with it? And so I decided to do something which was scary um, at first to even think about, which was to do a skydive. Um, because I thought, I can have a little bit of my own courage right here, right now. I can be afraid and do it anyway, no matter what life asks of me. And so I did a skydive, and I did it to honor Bob's courage and to honor the partnership of 51 years. Uh, we met in Rome, Italy, and we had a whole 51 years of time together, and, and off he went. Um, we used to say to one another, one of us will be here when the other one's not. And we don't know who, we don't know when, we don't know how, unless we both die at the same time, which isn't likely. So here we are now, and I'm still here, and he not, he in the, a different form of his mystery. Um, so there's a lot of change going on in my life because of Bob's death. He was one of the main persons in our practice, and so um, we had a place called Wisdom Well, and Jade, his daughter, our daughter, um, had to close it because we couldn't f quite figure out how to go forward with uh, Bob in absentia in the way that he is now. So it's a lot of change, and I'm really grateful that I did the skydive because one of the things that I know, Sarah, and I, I think I knew it before, but I really know it now, is that there's no backward. It's all forward, like standing at 13,500 feet and leaning forward and realizing you can't go backward, and that it's leaning into the what I think of as the breath of God, the air, and doing this free fall, which is all that we're doing all the time, free falling into the life of this day and the life of each other and what we have to offer to one another. So I'm very aware of death as being crucial as a wisdom practice because Bob's death has made such a huge difference in the changes that, have going, that are going on now for all of us, not just me, but for his wife and for our son and daughter and all, of, all who loved him, all his patients who you know, cry because he's not here now in the way that they knew him to be. And so we have to let it go. It's a little bit like Mary Oliver's poem when she says, to live in this world, we must be able to do three things. To love what is mortal, to hold it to our bones, knowing our own life depends on it. And when the time comes to let it go, to let it go. And so there's a big letting go that's happening right now. And doing that without upset is one of the most important practices in being alive is to is to realize that we do not have to choose upset, that the upset is an option. We can figure all kinds of ways of being with whatever we have to bear. And we do not have to choose upset. There are many people who think upset's inevitable. It's not. Fighting is not inevitable. War is not inevitable. We can actually be at peace and be compassionate, maybe disagree with certain ways of being and certain things, but not fight. We actually exchange disagreements and see new things and share new ways of looking and being so that we can actually have a shared world and not kill one another. Well, grieving is different from upset, right? I mean, I know that yeah. when all yeah. this change and wisdom well shut down, I mean, you had to yeah. shift and, you know, mm -hmm. everyone, I mean, most everyone is having these watershed moments you know, be it death yeah. and just so much change and so much um, the national conversation built around us versus them. Yes. How, with with everything yes. that I learned from you and dear beloved Bob, who 
he was a wonderful man. And Mm -hmm. what I learned from you two, and what I'd love to anyone listening to, to take away is what is this relationship, um, this, the nature, the five elements, and then layered on top of that, you know, ways of being and actions, and that summer actually doesn't just mean summer. It means so much more, and it's macrocosmic and microcosmic, right? Well, you could look at it like that. One of the uh, gifts, I think, to offer is that I actually don't use the word five elements because I would have us not hear them as things. Um, I, I, right at the moment, I'm thinking of a man who was one of our teachers. Um, his name was Hans-Peter Durer, who died two years ago now. He was a high-energy physicist at the Max Planck Institute in Munich, Germany. And he said, he said some really wonderful things to shine light on this life as a verb, not as a noun. When he said that the idea that there was one big bang 14 billion years ago and that we're simply unfolding it now, he said, it's crazy. We're banging all the time. Each of us is bringing into being this living, this bodied being, this bodied way of knowing life. And that at every moment, like Sarah is Sarah-ing and Diane is Diane-ing and Anthony is Anthony-ing. Each of us is inging. Each of us is bringing forth the gift that is ours to bring forth. And so, so the dance of five is really the dance of one because we're always counting by one. There's, um, it's, it's always one times one, which equals one. And one is showing itself as two, and the two is the dance of thee and me. It's still one showing as two. So it's always counting by one. And then two is the movement of partnerships, and the partnership for the sake of each other, like you for me, Sarah, me for you. But it's the two of us for the sake of the whole, for the sake of the oneness, and that's the number three which in this ancient way of looking is the number three is life is on the move. And this is in all the manifest possibilities, all the ways of looking at life is the number three. Life is on the move. And when life is on the move, again, counting by one, remembering oneness. The number three, remembering the oneness, goes to the four corners, the north, the south, the east, and the west, the four directions. So that's four. But it's one showing itself as four. And then the four still counting by one, remembering the great good earth that we have, that we're sharing. That's four, remembering oneness, is five. And that's the dance of the five, the wuxing. It's not things, it's the movement of life as it shows as the five, the five seasons, the five gifts, the five senses. And so we're all the time in the dance of the five senses, the five seasons. I mean, right this moment, think about, you have this flesh that touches, you have this breathing into life, that smelling life and tasting life and listening to life, hearing life and seeing life, seeing possibilities. So we have the senses of touching and tasting and smelling and hearing and seeing and round and round we go. But we were born with that. So we were born in the oneness with our five senses. And we had to learn to open our eyes and really see, and we had to learn to 
know that this flesh is about knowing other life and touching, and that we had to learn that the sweetnesses of being, that the savoring of the sweetnesses of being, I mean, the first taste we ever have is mother's milk or some semblance of that, which is the taste of sweet. And so I often think, no wonder there's so much um, yoo-hoo, so much unnecessary suffering about the taste of sweet, because I think in a certain way we haven't learned yet to balance all the tastes and all of the senses and all of the seasons. So I'm thinking that the dance of the five, or also known as the wuxing, the five changes, the five steps of a dance, are really only ever about one. And if I stand long enough in joy, I'll get to the oneness. And if I stand long enough in the savoring of the sweetnesses, in the thoughtfulness, I'll get to the oneness. I'll get to the seeing that we are this one quantum soup, one quantum field, and each of us in our particular ways. If I stand long enough in gratitude and life as thank you, I will get to see and to smell the, the, the wonder of all the fragrances of flowers, for example. Um, and if I stay long enough there in the thank you and the gratitude, I get to the oneness. And then if I stay long enough in the deep mystery of the oceans and the waters and the listening deeply, I, I get to the reassurance about being alive at all and um, listening deeply to the, because listening is a gift, we don't earn it from each other and we can't we don't owe it to each other it's a gift so you're like right now you're listening and all the others who are listening here for this pottling um that that is a gift it, it's a gift that actually allows the speaking and a gift that allows life to know itself as discourse as conversation as deep mystery of being unfathomable depths of the mystery of being if i stand long enough in that then i get to the oneness and if i stand long enough in the seeing of being and this new possibilities and asking the question that's one way of looking at it i wonder what else is possible that we could come together to some seeing of possibility um, by sharing that then we get to the oneness by looking at what the possibilities are and so uh, so around the circle of the gifts we go if i this, as you said the season of spring gives birth to the season of summer we don't have to make it happen it just does and what we do have to do is wake up, though, to the gifts and to see that summer is not the same as autumn, and autumn is not the same as the winter, and winter is not the same as the spring. Each brings their own gift. Each brings their own joy of knowing what it is to be, to be springtime, is to be the, new, the newness of being, to, light, to see the light in a different way and to um, be like the trees and you know, are reaching toward the light, which is all of the plants are actually in springtime, coming from deep in the dark, reaching up toward the light, okay. toward the sun. Okay, one second, because yeah. it's you're 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 very hypnotic. <laughs> Let me root it and make it more visual for a second. Um, okay. So when you say oneness, yeah. Um, so basically, oneness is where we always are trying to get to, right? Well, a little bit like being in the belly of the mommy for nine months. That's oneness. Oh. We don't have to get back into the belly of the mommy, but <laughs> well, I mean, but that's an example of oneness when we're she can't go any place without us, and we can't go any place without her. Okay, well, that's a little <laughs> hard to recreate on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, mm -hmm. For most of us walking around on two legs, getting in our cars, dropping our kids off, 
I, for those of you listening, though, I will have said that I'm going to put a picture of um, the Wuxing on PackingForCrazyTown.com so you can ground yourself uh-huh. in um, the seasons and, and when as Diane's going about talking because you're so practiced in this. It's just, it just is in your bones. But mm-hmm. Let me ask you this. Okay, so we're moving. It's, it's May 7th. We're moving. Um, spring is definitely here. Uh Yes. We came out of the winter. Now, when I was learning this in the 90s, you know, the winter is your minister of resources. It's your deep listening, right? Yes. It's your deep waters. Directly north of that, across from that, is the summer. And yep. that celebration, the sovereign, that's your vision. So, you, so for example, if someone said... Uh, and this is what I mean when I say macrocosmic. When I was thinking about what the last six months have been like in our country, um, mm-hmm. say someone says, I have a vision. Let's make America great again. Let's, you know, mm-hmm. let's do that. If you really, really, really had a vision that big, ideally you'd you would check in with your minister of resources and say, Hey, I have this great idea. Do we have the resources? Do we have the people? Can we afford it? Is this possible? And the Minister of Resources, the deep winter, the listening goes, hmm, well, maybe you might have to shift it a little. Uh, you know, how about this? It's a partnership, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, in a sense. Okay, so, so without checking in with the Minister of Resources, um, there's there's a disconnect okay so stay with me here and then coach me coach me (laughs) as you will and as i love how you do um then moving okay the fall the fall is about bowing to things as they are not how you want them to be it is about which is so challenging and for anyone to have bowed to anything in the fall as it was not as how we wanted it to be mm-hmm. that would that you they are I don't know I don't know how to speak about that but there was not a lot of bowing going on let's say so that's the fall and then fall you look across and there's the spring and the spring is the is green it's the minister of defense it's strategy it's planning it's the green energy moving so the fall having bowed to things as they are directly affects the spring just as the winter so what i'm saying is okay we're moving into spring and then there's going to come this summer born of this you know i'm just going to say collective hot mess ish and an ongoing WTF, you know, a national hello, a national disconnect, a national us versus them. A, na- a national wake up call. Yes. Okay. You miss positivity. I'm, talk to me. Well, I mean, what you're saying is as a construct about how you can look at the five and you can look at the seasons and you can say something abstract about them. We don't even have to get abstract when right here, right this moment, are you happy? Are you practicing joy? Because if you're practicing joy, you will be taking care of what you were saying of the minister of the sovereign who's actually overseeing the entire 
dance because you will be looking for is joy present as the summertime and 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 if it's not then who will put it present who will be joyful like right now we can be all kinds of reactivity to anything to anybody to Donald Trump and company but it's not effective it doesn't serve question is, in the presence of a squawky bit, or you just call a hot mess, what do I presence? What do I do? How do I respond? How do I bear what's going on? And if I'm not adding some joy into life, then I'm, I'm actually adding squawk to the squawky bit that's already present. <laughs> so, so, I'm, I'm, so the first thing is to actually see what am I presencing in the presence of any circumstance? What am I adding? And am I adding misery? Am I adding complaint? Am I adding comparison? I mean, to compare is actually to despair. And it's very clear that um, that if I'm not adding joy, and I'm in charge of my joy, you're not in charge of my joy, I'm not in charge of Donald Trump's joy, Donald Trump's not in charge of, nobody, where each of us is in charge of the joy that we have creating, the, the choice that we make about happiness. And there's nothing clever about not being happy. I mean, it's, it's a question of how do I be, how do I add presence? How do I add light, which is light and joy to, that go together the summertime? And how do I actually see that there are things to savor that are sweet and the sweetnesses of being? I mean, the late summertime, how do I, how do I see, how do I rest knowing that there's goodness that's happening at the same time, that some of the squawky bits are pretty hard to take. But how do I bear that? How do I be thoughtful right here, right now, where I am? How close to thoughtfulness am I right here, right now in this pod podling? How much joy am I presencing? How much sweetness am I thoughtfulness in this presencing? When I said before that if you stay, stand any place along the circle of the five, it's always about one, one showing itself as five. So it, wherever we stand, we're always on the circle. There's no place to stand outside of the circle. So wherever we are, it's always part of the circle. The question is, right in the moment, what am I presencing? Not a report about what I'm presencing, but right this moment, am I thankful? Am I gra grateful? Like right this moment. And I say to you, Sarah, thank you for this opportunity to create this pod because it actually means that there's a p possibility of uncovering and revealing some new ways of being that gratitude sh can show even more and therefore grace can show even more in the world. And so going around the circle and that place of the autumn of the thank you just naturally gives birth to the place of the deep mystery of it all, standing in the awe. It's said, I think it was Chuang Tzu that said, leap into the unknown and make it your home. We're all in the unknowing. We are deeply in the unknowing. Death is what makes unknowers of all of us because we don't know what's first, our death or tomorrow. We know we're here now. Now, if I stay in that right here, right now, listening deeply, I'm not going to draw conclusions about you or be in a fight with you. I'm actually going to be interested in how you are. I'm going to be interested in how we're connected and the oneness of our connection. I'm going to be counting by one, this thee and me with a hyphen, little you, I and that we're, the great mystical poets say it like this, I, you, he, she, we. I, you, he, she, we. In the garden of mystic lovers, these are not true distinctions. 
And so you could say, what, how, what, what, so what about that? Like, so what's the grounding of that? If I stay in realizing that you and I are deeply connected, no kidding, no moment by moment, that what I do will inf- both influence and infect what you do in a certain way. That therefore, if I add a miserable um, outlook, if I add complaint, if I add fault-finding, you're going to have to deal with that too because it's me presencing fault-finding. And then we'll, we'll be in a kind of uh, unnecessary suffering. But if instead of fault-finding, you look to see what's the gift here? What's the opening here? What's the life here that, that, that looks at possibilities and sees some new way of looking at it? Um, then we'll stand together in seeing life as possibility, and we won't be in conclusions and despair and resignation and depression because we will be helping each other see new possibilities right from where we are. And since we're not getting out alive anyway, we don't have to worry about whether we're going to die or not because we know we will. Most of us actually don't realize that we will. We think that's the other person, not, not me. But in fact, that's why I said being with Bob Duggan and his last holy breath, I, real, I thought he was exempt, but he wasn't exempt, and neither are you and neither, neither am I. So the very fact that we will have some moment, the call that will come and says, you who, you have to go now, you have to give back that holy breath, it's no longer for you to use, it's time to give it back. And so realizing that at every moment, this holy breath that we have is what we're sharing. And in so sharing it, making it possible to see each other's gifts, each other's beauties, each other's goodness, each other's belonging on the earth. And that to me is the practice of what we're about, is to actually say to one another, you belong here, you are good and beautiful, you are worthy of being loved. And even as I say that, there are many people who actually don't know that. They don't know that they're lovable and that they are love, that they are loving. They forget. That's why I sang that song, because the children use it as their audition song. How can anyone ever tell you you're anything less than beautiful? How can anyone ever tell you you're less than whole? And so to be the presence for each other of our wholeness. It's, there's a wonderful one-liner. It's uh, something like uh, when the pickpocket sees the saint on the road. All the pickpocket sees are the saint's pockets. And to realizing that most of us are seeing each other's pockets and not seeing the whole. When I say saint, I don't mean, ho- I don't mean religious. I mean the whole, the, the whole of the other, the whole possibility of their life because each of us is a whole life living it's not a partial life it's a whole life living and how do we help each other how do we be medicine for one another how do we help each other live it's a to me that's a very important question and it's a very important question to line up with is if when i wake up in the morning and i create a mood and since bob's death i've been creating the mood of holy awe because it's a big enough mood to live in, for me to live in, and to live in with you. So being in the awe, but not just awe, but holy awe. It reminds me of Mary Oliver um, in her poem, When Death Comes, and the two lines that are dazzling I find useful. She says, when it's over, I want to say my entire life, I was a bride married to amazement, and I was the bridegroom taking the world into my arms. And so learning to be in that perpetual amazement, perpetual great astonishment, and to take the world into my arms, that's, those are practices, those are ways of being that help us 
pick up the child in the afternoon from school, that help us get to work, that help us with our classmates and our colleagues and our parents and our children. Ways of being that actually you could say it's a fan- you could say it's kind of a fancy name, but ontological design is the designing of ways of being that help us live. And joy is a way of being that helps us live helping each other to smile, even for a moment. There's always something to smile about, even amidst the sorrows. And, you know, some cultures have wailing walls because we have sorrows. Um, And there's always something to be thankful for. There's always a little little place of gratitude, a little opening, and, and all we ever have to do is go into the opening and shine on that and add to that. And not to add complaint, but actually to add more opening, more reassurance, more listening, not less, more seeing of possibility, more light, more joy, more tenderness, more more gratitude, more bowing, more saying thank you. You're worthy of this holy breath that lives us. Does that does that come around the circle again? I know you, I think you'd like to put it someplace else there, but I'm not sure that that's actually what I have to offer because I'm not offering a, th- a, a theory or an abstraction. The five are really the, the dance of five. It's the five steps of the dance that as soon as we're here on this earth, we are actually in practice already. We are each other's uh, seasons, each other's senses, each other's gifts. Um, so I'm, it, Rumi says it like this. He said, the sun shines on the earth and never says to the earth, you owe me. And look at a love as big as this. Hmm. It lights up the entire sky. Hmm. And so it's, it's, it's not less real because of the poetry. In fact, the poetry actually shines on the practices to be light for one another. Yeah. And to smile and to say, it's okay, my love. I don't know exactly how it's okay, but we'll be the, well, we're in this together. And it's and just to say to each other, beloved, you're, you are so much the presence of nourishment and tenderness and st- the stories of life and the songs of life. And I am deeply um, nourished by your being here with me. And that nourishment naturally from the late summer gives birth to the autumn and the place of um, breathing each other in and saying, ah. The, the Sufis say the first word is ah, and all the other words are meant to be forms of that. And I was reading something about Helen Keller. You know, she was she had this illness t- t- when she was 19 months old, and so she, she lost her sight and she lost her um, being able to talk and she lost her hearing, and so she was thought to be deaf and dumb, and she had these terrible fallings out, this terrible. A hard, hardship with life because she didn't think she belonged. She didn't know how to do this. And then her Annie Sullivan teacher came and thought, how will I teach this child that she's worthy and that she's good and that she's beautiful? And what she did is she couldn't figure out how to do it, but she took her outdoors and she took her to a well and she poured this water, which of course you and I would look at as water, but it's not just water, it's holy water. It's the substance, it's the phenomenon that she poured it on one hand and on the other hand she tapped the letters W-A-T-E-R, W-A-T-E-R, while one hand was pouring the water, the other hand was the letters for that water in English. There are 6,000 other languages to do it in, but and, and so water and water and Helen Keller said I woke up 
I woke up like the gift that I, I belong. I know something now about language and each word meaning something for the world and that I too am in language. And that we are, that she, it's like she woke up to using language the way a great violinist uses the bow on her violin to bring forth the beauty and the goodness and the poetry of life, even while there are terrible things that are going on and killing fields, killing grounds. Still, we can shine on the goodness and beauty, and we can be the champions for goodness and beauty. I'm not value neutral. I think it's better to say a kind word than a cruel word. It's better to shine on one another and to say, beloved, you are also the light, and you are also, there's no one more beloved than you. And to say that to one another, you're, there's no one more beloved than you, Sarah. And there's, and this moment of realizing that we are worthy to being listened to, and to have someone listen, which is what you're all doing right this moment, is you're giving me, you could say that listening grants the speaking. So you're giving me the room to speak so we can build this discourse together. We can build this world together. We can come to, come to some agreement, not a fight, but we can give up the fight and go for the gift because there's always a gift. And in giving up the fight together, then we then have some possibility of designing and creating a place of peace and a place of love and light and a place of deep thoughtfulnesses and a place of gratitude, saying thank you to each other and really making sure that each other gets it, not just a haphazard uh, kind of pro forma, thank you, but no kidding, beloved, thank you, thank you for this day, for this sharing of this holy breath, and thank you for your listening, and let's together see some new possibility, because every way that each of us has of looking and seeing life is a way of seeing something. You could say that's one way of looking at it, and beloved, it's only one way of looking at it. I wonder what else is possible. Let's look together and see what else is possible. So we're in this designing and creating. And sometimes that little word maybe is really wonderful because if I have a certitude or an assumption and it doesn't match yours, all we have to do is use the word maybe. I mean, maybe that's the way life is, maybe not. Just a little alert to that. Maybe the certitudes we have are destructive. And um, in fact, Ivan Illich was one who said to hell with health because he said it's a modern destructive certitude of um, somehow thinking that we can we don't have to bear what we have to bear, and that um, we can be, somehow that suffering is not uh, a gift, but it too is whatever we have to bear, we turn into gifts. And so um, what Yvonne would say is that health is a destructive, cherished, modern certitude. It's a new addiction, he called it, and addicted to being healthy rather than addicted, rather than being well and helping each other be well and bear what we have to bear, and in the end, let it all go. Oh, hold on a second. Addicted yeah. to being healthy. Yeah. I like that. And yeah. it's an addiction, yes. he said. Because think about it, how much we're spending ourselves out of existence and, and all of this squawky bit, unnecessary suffering about health and health care. Um, what, what I mean, it's our, it's, it's our concerns about being bodied because if we weren't bodied, we wouldn't worry about our health. But our well-being but we're bodied so the question is how do we remember that we are we have these holy bodies and that how do we tend this being bodied this condition for being without which I wouldn't be here neither would you oh, hold on a second there all right well why why while I have someone who is obviously deeply wise let's just hook up the IV drip of 
your 71 years of wisdom <laughs> and walking this talk. And you know, a lot of people, there's three things. Okay, people do do wake up afraid. They do wake up feeling unloved. They do wake up not feeling beautiful. Mm-hmm. Practically in that moment, mm-hmm. when you open your eyes, mm-hmm. what is the first thing you do, the first thing you think, and the first thing you say? Mm-hmm. Well, the very first thing is, oh, <laughs> oh, I'm still here. I'm still here. Sorry, I just started laughing because I'm like, what is she going to say? Okay. Go. No, the first thing is I'm still here. Oh, my gosh. I'm recurring in this body one more day. And I'm very aware that it could be otherwise, and one day it's going to be, but not yet. So I'm like, oh, here, here I am. Literally, here I am. I am here and really getting it. I am here. could be otherwise, but it's not yet. So I am here. And then I fling my arms open, okay, <laughs> and I say, life... I am yours and you are mine. Use me. So it's a practice that I have. And right behind that, I I design my mood for the day, that no matter what goes on today, I will stay in holy awe so that everything that comes in will be like in the cradle of holy awe. And that helps me live because it means then there's nothing that I'm going to be in a fight with. I'm going to simply see... How, how, how is this awesome, too? How is this awe? It's all awe, sometimes awful, but it's always awe. So how do I stay in awe? So that's my first. Then I get up, and then I go take a shower, and I do this thing, Sarah, which is magic. It's just I do a hot, cold, hot, cold, hot, cold shower at least three times, and as cold as I can stand it, as hot as I can stand it. And by that time, my whole body is, I'm so like, <laughs> <laughs> like, like uh, that there's no way that I could keep a mood of despair, resignation, or depression, any of those squawky bits. I have to stick because it's awesome to be hot, cold, hot, cold, hot, cold like that. Wait, wait. Um, how many how many seconds or minutes is hot and how many seconds is well, cold? Well, as much as long as you can stand it. Sometimes I can stand it a little longer than others. It's a little bit like doing the free fall and the skydive. Um, it's 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 realizing that. Oh, I don't think I can handle this, but doing it anyway. So that Diane, <laughs> that's so trendy. That's very Winhoff of you. Um, it's 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 very what? Do you, have you heard of Winhoff? No. Okay, so he's the latest woke culture, um, just celebrity. He is. I think he's Dutch. And Shauna, uh-huh. we didn't talk about it in the podcast, but Shauna yeah. does the exact same thing. And what she does, <laughs> and what he preaches and practices and what's being adopted all over the world is this yeah. uh this breathing that precedes the the cold shower and shauna she'll do it in bed she'll mm-hmm. go for a walk come back and take a 10 minute cold shower mm-hmm. <laughs> i'm i'm doing my best well, if it takes that if it takes that long to do it that's good that's fine <laughs> yes but okay so that's okay that's what i'm talking about that is real Value. I mean, I can do it. Yeah, but I don't do it as a. I don't do it as a strategy. I do it because I notice, as as an observer, I notice that it helps me break open whatever squawky bit I might be like falling into. It 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 helps me to realize that. Wait a minute, I'm here and I'm awake. It wakes me up. Is what I'm saying. Okay, I love that because that is. It's one of the, 
I just love everything about you. Okay, so hot, cold, hot, cold, you throw your arms yeah. open, I'm here, let's do this. And yeah. then what? And then what do you do? Well, and then I um, I have a piece of music that I I have not been able to ever listen to without weeping. It's it's so beautiful. And so I use it as my medicine. Medicine's whatever helps us live. So I take it out of my medicine bowl, so to speak, and I put it on, I have a CD player and I play it. And it's called, it's Thomas Tallis's, it's a 40-part motet, 40 parts singing at the same time. It's like all of the world um, in its beauty and in its glory is present in this motet. It's very, very beautiful. Um, it's, I think it's called Spem in Allium, but that's not, the point isn't that, the point is that it's 40, 40 voices singing together at the same time in 40 different parts all at once. So it's the oneness showing in 40 different places. It's counting by one. Okay, so every, so literally every morning you play the same song? Yes. Okay, then what? Um... Well, so that by that time, I'm looking and I'm thinking, I, it must, I think it must be time now to go downstairs and I have some, um, the only thing that I take as a, I don't even want to call it a supplement, but as, a, as, a, as medicine, as a tonic, is a crushed flax and um, black cherry juice together in the morning. I have that. Hmm. Every morning, black cherry juice and crushed flax. And then, so I drink that and... Um, then I, um, let's see, what do I, do? I, I actually, I think then I look at my, I think I look at my computer. I think that's the next thing I do. Either that or my phone. Um, <laughs> and I've just learned from you today about the difference between texting and emailing. You're welcome. Is one, is the one, one is the phone and one is the computer. That's right. So, um, I, and I do love to learn and to be, and I do love to sing too. Singing is a very important medicine to me. Um, and I go one time a month to the Levine School of Music in Washington, D.C., because the bass voice for Sweet Honey in the Rock, I don't know if you folks know Sweet Honey in the Rock, they're the African-American women who sing a cappella in the Washington, D.C. area, and the bass voice was Issei Barnwell. And one night a month for two hours, she calls it the Community Voice Sing. She comes and we sing to people come from all over to sing together. And she's an incredible musician. So in f f moments, she has us in five and six part harmony singing our soul, essentially. It's a soul-sized conversation. It's so soul-sized. It's beautiful. So one night a month. I've been doing that for years in Washington, D.C. And I really experience that as medicine, as helping me live. Um, also, I go to movies. I like, I like movies a lot. I like the indie movies. Oh, you do? So for two hours to be entertained in a different world. Of I love movies because I can, I can al almost always, sometimes if I really need to cry, I'll just go to a movie because that's just, <laughs> it's, you know, it's an yeah. easy place to cry. Yeah. I love you, Sarah. And I love that you cry and laugh and that we have this together and that, um, that I know in a certain way I talk funny. Um, but I talk funny because it's like, what's the sound of one hand clapping? It's not a question that's meant to be answered. It's a question. It's like, can we cock our heads, our ears, enough to be able to hear something which we haven't heard already? Can I hear anything? Can I learn anything that I don't already know? Can I be? Can I get rid of my um, 
know-it-all girl self. And, and instead of being dowier than thou or zenier than thou or thinking that I know and that you don't or that I know and somebody else doesn't, that can I be in the shared world of making my offerings as part of the gift and receive the offerings of others? You know, and being in practice in the treatment room all these years in the treatment room of life with, and with a needle in hand doing what's been called acupunctures, I'm, um, the first thing that I'm very aware of is that the person who's come to see me is bringing me gifts, gifts of their life, gifts of who they are, gifts of their face that they can never see but I can see. And so asking me, will I be with them? Will I see them? Will I touch them? And when I go to Penn North, our city, city clinic in Baltimore, where Freddie Gray died, where the uprising was in Baltimore, the folks there, when I go on Fridays to treat them, I say I treat them, but actually I get treated. And they've actually taught me that what I do is essentially, they'll say, like Smiling Mike will say to me, Mama, they all call me Mom, Mama, can I have a touch? And that's essentially what I do. So the touch of loving human kindness is, is really all that we really need. And, and so I say, sure, of course. And so for a moment, for, for five minutes of clock time, we'll have like a needle in their head or someplace and say, now just shh, easy, girl and boy, easy, honey. Here we are, so let's be at peace. And if I can be at peace for five minutes, I can be at peace. And even in the face of the drug of choice, there's um, the strengthening of that deep well of being, well-being that helps Smiling Mike and all the rest of the beautiful folks that I am family with on Fridays. And so Penn so. North is a, is it a addiction, um, a healing place? What is that? Yeah, Penn North is a recovery center in, in, in Baltimore and it's a, it's a hood. It's a, it's a, f it, when we had Bob's memorial there <clears throat> and the, everyone called it a friendship community because one of the persons, his name was Aldohan, one of the things that he said years ago, he said, if you want me not to be on my heroine, he said, my heroine is a faithful friend. Yeah. So what I need is a faithful friend. And so if you, you know, let's have a friendship community in that way, I won't be drawn to my drug of choice because I will have a faithful friendship in the folks of who are my, my kingdom, my family, my community, my recovery center folks. So, so there's all kinds of wonderful goings on there, including there's a kids safe zone, uh, and Alicia Keys actually came to be at the kids safe zone and asked asked the children, had conversations with them about who were their heroes, and and every child that spoke said, you know, um, my hero is my is my father, and I, she, then she'd say, well, where is he? And she, they'd say, she, he's in jail. And that my a hero is my brother. Well, where is he? Well, he's in jail. There's so much about the world of incarceration, what these children have to bear, and the terrible, unnecessary suffering of having a family member incarcerated, um, and and what it does to the entire family. And so, what these babies, these children have to bear is, is excruciating, and it's one of the reasons that we have Penn North, which is the clinic there. Pennsylvania North Avenue in Baltimore and um, it really is a place of grace and a smiling Mike said to me he's, you know he's wonderful to be with and he's paralyzed on one side he was a big drug guy in the city for a long time and he was in a fight and he was in a coma for two months and and he's wonderful to be with Sarah and I said to him Mike teach me to smile because he smiles all the time he said okay mama he said I'm happier than I've ever been I have a little piece of earth, a little garden. He said, I grow roses, pink ones and red ones. 
I love that. He said, I just love that. So I do what I love. And then he says, I give the rest to the Lord. There's a lot that I don't love, Mama. So I give the rest to the Lord, and then I keep doing what I love. And I said to him, Mike, I know how to do that. I give, you know, I give it to the Lord, and then I say, Lord, how are you doing with that? He said, nope. Can't, don't go bother it no more. You give it to the Lord, and you just keep doing what you love. It was so great. Mike taught me to smile. I said, now I know how to smile, Mike. Give whatever I don't like to the Lord and just keep doing what I love. So that's for all you pod, pod listeners. <laughs> that's from Smiling Mike at Penn North in, all, in Baltimore, Maryland. You, you wrote that um, the difference between benediction and addiction is... Yeah. Barely anything. Talk a little no, more about it's that. It's the same word, really. Yeah. Well, addiction is to actually, you know, to have something that you're so drawn to that, and you can't get along without it. Uh, and but benediction is to have something that you're drawn to. Also, you can't get along without it. But it's about a blessing. The bene part is the goodness. It's like you can you can function with it. You can be with it. Like I think I'm addicted to poetry, but it's a functional addiction, and it helps. It helps me live, and it helps others live. Um, everybody's addicted to something, to, to some form of the question is whether it's functional or not, and, the, and whether it's a benediction or not, whether it actually brings um, some light and some joy. Actually, whether, whether it brings the five, the f- let's go around the circle again, whether it brings joy, whether it brings thoughtfulness, whether it brings gratitude, whether it brings a deep listening and reassurance, and whether it brings seeing new possibilities. And if it does, great. That's a practice, that's a habit to cultivate and to nourish and I think love is that learning to see the face of the beloved everywhere 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 that there's not one face that is not the face of the beloved that's a practice and that's a practice of oneness so if I see the face of the beloved in every single person I meet then I'm going to be with them as I would be with the beloved it would be an act of love I mean how did Mother Teresa see an oozing sore as an opportunity to love because she designed it like that so we get to design ways of being that help us live and help others live with us. And the ways of being that are so beautiful, as you, you pointed to it before, the, the dance of the five, the five seasons, the five gifts, the five senses are the gifts that we bring to one another that say, Yoo-hoo, I'll see you, I'll, I'll touch you, I'll taste you, savor you, I will breathe you in, I will listen to you, you can have my ears, you can have my eyes, you can have my deep listening, you can have me as your, as your love, as your friend, as your friendship community. I see you, I touch you, I taste you, I smell you, breathe you, and I hear you. And so that's the gift of the, gifts of the five, and we're doing it all the time, listening and seeing and touching and tasting, savoring and breathing in. One of my patients, her, she she died about three years ago now, but she used to come to see me and then couldn't anymore. She was too frail. She died at 103. Um, so when she was so frail, she couldn't come. Uh, when I went to see her, she said, Diane, you're the only one who touches me. You're the only one that reminds me that I'm here. Aww. And I suddenly realized that for, particularly for our elders, or for all of us, but really, how do we know we're here? If somebody touches us, Somebody is tender with us. Somebody says thank you. Somebody breathes us in like a newborn baby. Somebody listens to us. Somebody sees us and says, I see you. Yeah. 
It's like that movie Avatar. You know, it was so popular. I see you was the main theme. Not only I see you, but I um, to make the bond. She kept saying, "Make the bond, Jake. The bond with everything, with everyone." That's oneness and living life as oneness. And that way makes it possible to actually see Donald Trump as a fellow traveler, a human being. He still has breath. It's not over yet. We still have breath. It's not over yet. So what's the possibility of life as love, life as oneness, life as transformation, life as miracle, life as seeing new possibilities beyond what we have seen so far? What's the possibility of life as peace, life as the unspeakable divine? life as one. You know, that word, that word worry, I was thinking about that before because I think Shauna said that in hers, in her podcast. The, uh, worrying is actually arrogant. Worrying is rehearsing the negative. It's like saying to the unspeakable divine, I know how this is going to go and it's not good. <laughs> and, the, and, the uns, and the unspeakable divine says, oh, you know how it's going to go? That's interesting. I thought that was my domain. <laughs> and then I think about how Mark Twain said at the end of his life, he said, I'm an old man now. I've had a lot of troubles half of which never happened. <laughs> you know, just being in your presence, I feel yeah. lighter. I feel more hopeful. Although mm-hmm. I've, I'm definitely on the upswing in terms of hope. Yes, good. It's uh, good because it's up to you. You're in charge of your hope. I'm in charge That's... of it. Well, mm-hmm. I want to circle back to something that you said, um, mm-hmm. which is the danger and, and the the. You know, it's kind of death by conclusions, death by comparison, how that shuts everything down. And mm-hmm. anyone listening, you know, whether it's at work or with your kids or your parents, that if I could just take a pill and never do that again, never judge, never, you know, because it's not ever coming from, it's only ever coming from a place of fear or shame or doubt yeah. or guilt. Yeah. Do you know what fear stands for? What? False evidence appearing real. Ah, oh, that's right. Remember that? And, you know, and my friend Patch Adams, you know what he said one time? He, he gave a talk, at, formerly known as Ty Sophia, and he, he said, Patch, what can we do for you? He said, here's what you can all do. Never, ever, ever, ever have another bad day. <laughs> Dang, you so, are an I- You're the IV drip is... <laughs> I can just feel it flowing into me. Remember when we talked this morning and I said, well, best case scenario, without yeah. anyone having to think, just by the vibration yeah. of the sonic frequency that yeah. people will feel better. <laughs> well, I've been smiling the whole time. I, be- I can is- tell. <laughs> I can and tell. I'm also, and I'm also um, happy to be... Th- creating a thinkery with you, Sarah, and with the, all the poddling listeners, because this is a thinkery. It's not like a done deal. We're thinking out loud together. And I was realizing, I think it was um, Ralph Waldo Emerson, he said, I only write when I'm inspired. And I see to it I'm inspired every morning by 9 o'clock. <laughs> so realizing that it's up to us to add the inspiration. And, and I'm in charge of mine, inspired, my joy, my gratitude. You're not in charge of mine. You're in charge of yours. And so realizing that we can help each other, though, stay awake to the gifts, stay awake to the practices of joy and light and gratitude and listening, listening to the deep mystery of it all and listening to the silences. I mean, one of the most important things that I've learned in these last, actually since Bob's death, 
and since the free fall, since the skydive, is that a lot of life is about silence. It's about being still and silent so that the noise doesn't overcome us or uh, kind of whisk us away into forgetting the great oneness and the beauty and the holiness. Mother Teresa said it's our duty to be holy, not just as a good idea, it's our duty to be holy. And that's not religious, but, a, but a, to see each other as home, as whole, not just the pockets, not just the be a pickpocket conversation. Mm-hmm. And so I'm really intent that to, to be a, a voice here for um, really peacefulness, wanting what we have rather than wanting something we don't have and to cherishing that and cultivating ourselves in love more and still yet more and still yet more. More love, not less. And going for the opening, giving up the fight and going for the gift. There's always a gift. So we can go for the gift moment by moment, shining on that. Go for the gift. And that's a practice, to go for the gift. Go for the gift. Yeah, give up the fight, go for the gift. And to remember that everything's on the way, not in the way. It's very important to think that it, there's nothing that's, that we have to fight or run and duck and hide from because everything's on the way. So there's, how do we turn it into an offering? How do we use it? How do we make meaning out of it? And how do we remember that we're here and that it could be otherwise and one day it will be. So to be grateful moment by moment by moment. There was something else I also wanted to share because I think it's very... uh, Sheila Kitzinger, who was my first birthing coach in in England, my first child, Blaze, was born 42 years ago in England, and uh, she she was an anthropologist, and she studied the sounds of childbirth, religious revival, and lovemaking, and they're all the same sound. They're all, oh, yes, yes, oh, no, no, oh, no, no, oh, yes, oh, God, God, yes, oh, no, oh, God. (laughs) We've the got something of, for everybody here. Right. The sounds of childbirth, lovemaking, and <laughs> religious revival. Oh, God, oh, yes, oh, no. <laughs> oh, yes, oh, no. You're making oh, it God. really hard for me to name this podcast. I was writing down, give up the fight, <laughs> go for the gift, for but the now, gift. <laughs> oh, no, oh, yes, oh, no. <laughs> Well, really, the, and the first three words from the, from the wager, from the woman who does the wager... <laughs> is be bold, don't go puny. You know, gamble with everything. Just give yourself, give yourself to love, give it all. And um, you have to know that it's all a wager anyhow. Life is but a dream. I have a friend who went, wakes up in the morning with the first thing she says is, ah, now I'm dreaming. <laughs> oh, geez. Yeah, now I'm dreaming. Am I a butterfly dreaming I'm a person or am I a person dreaming I'm a butterfly? I have, I have heard that theory. Yeah. That yeah, when no, we're it's... awake, we're mm-hmm. dreaming, and when we're asleep, we're uh-huh. awake. I mean, who's, who's to say what is? And, and, and the other thing that I, I like very much, I find it helpful, is uh, I think it was Wayne Dyer that said it. If we only knew who walks beside us, we would never be anxious or afraid again. And I think it's a really wonderful, those are medicine words. They help us live. You're full. You you have nothing but medicine words to give. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like the kids in the inner city say when they come some, to some agreement, they say, word up, world be born. That world that they decide on together, let that world be born. Because we're in this together. Listening and speaking builds the world. We're the same human race as Mother Teresa, Adolf Hitler, Kalahari Bushman, and the Queen of England. 
the conversations we create are the conversations in which we create the moods and the actions that we take. So the question is, how awake am I? And how can I keep waking up and help each, help you wake up, help each other wake up so that we're awake to the gifts that I, we each are? I liked yeah. when you, um, you used to say, when I worked with you and Bob and John Sullivan, you used yeah. to say, what what is you had us all figure out what our gift was that without even trying just yeah. us showing up it was this natural what's your gift yeah. can you walk how do people find their what what their true gift is yeah well if you put your arms out everybody in like a basket shape and you ask folks that are in life with you what do you know when you're with me so you don't have to wait till you die to do this i mean this you know people will be saying on your death day Oh, here's what I miss. But we don't have to wait. Here we are right here, right now. So put your basket out and then ask those around you, your friends, your family, people you don't know. Ask them, what do you know when you're with me? What do you know about life? What do you know about yourself? They're going to think that you're asking them for a description of you. But it's not that. It's in your presence, here's what I know. And, and so, like, in, like Sarah, in your presence, what I know about life so into your basket, I would pop these words. I would know about this oneness of being that we all are here together and belong. I know that I belong when I'm with you. And I know that I belong, and song and poetry will come forth from that. And a certain um, camaraderie, a certain friendship. <laughs> I know myself as beautiful when I'm with you, Sarah. And... If you have others pop those words into your bowl, you'll actually begin to realize that, wait a minute, when I wake up in the morning, the first thing when I realize that I'm here is like, who will know themselves as good and beautiful because I'm here today? Who will know that they belong because I'm here today? So it's to, to look and see what, I would look at the beloveds that I see and that I'd be treating and I think, oh, wow, how will she know herself as good and beautiful because I'm with her? And what will it take? If it takes me standing on my head, me singing a song, me being silent, whatever it takes, I'm here to offer that because it's for her. It's through me for her. It's, pri it's personal, but it's not private. And so, like our face, it's personal, but it's not private. So it already belongs. So it's to look and see. I mean, you were saying it a few minutes ago, Sarah, like, what do you know when you're with me? Even in this podcast, when you can't see my face or smell me or feel me or touch me, you can hear me. What do you know about yourself and about life when you're with me? And as, as you think about that and you think gosh I do know some things about life simply being in her presence and one of the things that I intent that you know Sarah is that in my presence no matter what wherever I am that you will know yourself as a loving glorious hot shit possibility ah. that's my that's my offering to you that's my gift to you so the question is have I kept my promise hell to the yeah all, all the listeners who are the poddling people that are listening, have I kept my promise with you that uh, you know yourself as glorious, loving, and hot shit possibility. Not just a little possibility, not a puny possibility, a bold, glorious, hot shit possibility. Because you know if there's hot shit, there's a pony there. <laughs> there's alive and awake to being alive and awake, which is what anamnesis is, how you know you're alive and awake because you're here. You can smell, feel, taste, touch, and know that you're here. You can open your senses. 
and be more alive. In fact, that's a good, remember Sarah John Sullivan putting together some words where he said, it's for us to come to life more fully. Yes. So as to serve life more wisely and more nobly, sagely stillness within and sovereign service without. So there's a nobility about us and a, and a serving about us for each other. And you know, when we're born, most of us are born head first, it's called the crowning. We forget that nobility, we forget that majesty as we go. And so this whole conversation in a way is to remember that and to remember the majesty of each of us. And maybe by so doing, we call, calling each other to that majesty and to that goodness, uh, we actually will show up with more majesty and goodness, every single one of us, every single one of us. And including the heads of state, the heads of countries, the heads of schools, the heads of families, and the hearts of everyone. And, okay, yeah. there's a lot of heads, kind of global head scratching going on right now. That's like, hmm. Yeah. So ways of being, and, you know, not to be boring and, and bring it back to Donald Trump, but I am, I am just curious. You've been practicing acupuncture for 50 years. Donald Trump books mm -hmm. an appointment, gets, gets down there to Columbia, walks into your treatment room. How do you mm -hmm. treat him? I treat him as the face of the beloved, meaning that he too. I saw something, Sarah, at the day of the inauguration. I saw his son, Baron, playing with one of Ivanka, so one of his daughter's children. And the children were playing and I thought, ah, the children are playing everywhere, every day. These are places in the world. Children laugh and children play everywhere and every day. These are places in the world. When I saw that, I thought, Conley, don't be so arrogant to think you know what's going on or that you know how this should go. Just be present be loving, see a glorious, loving, hot shit possibility right here as well, and help him see possibility. Help him be in the great goodness of his, because he must belong here, he's on the earth, so um, he's got a goodness and a beauty too. And to actually, how do I bear with him is to actually know what does he see? What does he open to? What is the gift that he hasn't yet seen? What is the rumba that he hasn't yet practiced? What is the strange step and jumpy rhythms from the mountains of Bulgaria he hasn't practiced that he only knows his do your work in 4-4 four, four time and what do you expect waltz? So it's my duty and privilege to actually see possibility and to see what is it where, where he has joy and to see what's the thoughtfulness that helps him sing a new song and what's the gratitude that I have? What, what is awakening in the world because there is a Donald Trump doing what he's doing? What's coming to life more fully because he's here? Whether we like it or not, we don't have to like it, but we do have to dance. So the question is, how do we dance? We don't have to concur with ways of being or with thinking, but we do have to dance. How do we do that in the great oneness without, really without creating a war? And so, it's a practice of, without it being a Pollyanna, without it being like a feel-good, you know, just 
um, or Lady Bountiful. It's really like, okay, so what's effective here? So my promise is not to get sick over him or over it and to not get nuts over his being president and doing what he's doing because it's not effective. So the third thing is to promise to take effective action. And effective action would be to help him see some other possibilities than the ones he already sees. To have to look with him at. This is one way of looking at it. What else is possible here? What else could be a gift? Yes. To help him see gift. Yes, yes, and yes, give up a fight. yes. Yes, 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 and more yes. Because yeah. what, and what choice do we have? It's yeah. not over yet. I mean, in terms of no. time, I mean, there's 40 no. something months left. And yeah. to that, I, you said that when we spoke the first time that you saw Baron playing. And I love that little kid too. Leave him mm. alone. Feel, well, you know. No, 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 don't leave him alone. Incorporate him as a guide. Because we're, and we, this is something I didn't say in this whole conversation, is that the wisdom question from all the great traditions is, is what I'm about to say or do, does it honor the parents, the parents' parents, and the oh, parents' parents' parents? And with the parents sitting right in the seat with us, right this moment, everyone who's listening, with the parents, with the tribes we've come from, am I honoring those tribes? Am I honoring the parents, the ancestors? And right sitting with them are the children. So am I serving the children, the children's children, and the children's children's children? And all of the children are ours, whether we've had them through the personal womb or the world womb. And so am I honoring, am I serving? Am I serving the children in this conversation? Am I building a world with them and for them? Am I in a conversation that I would have them be in? Or am I thinking, no, they should have a different conversation. The conversation we want for the children is the one for us to be in right now, including Bear, including all of the children. Remember, all of them are ours in the village. This is the global village that all of us belong to, a shared world, taking it profoundly seriously. These are our children. Well, How do we help them? Well, by leave him alone, I just meant some people were mean, you know, saying mean things. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. About well, just, just that, like, in, th- in just that hands sense, off. No, yeah. Be aware of the bullying, yeah. The bullying. And here's something that I have a, a kinship with President Trump about. Ready mm-hmm. for it? Sure. I, too, love Sharpies. <laughs> <laughs> I love, I just, I know exactly why he likes them. And I do, too. I feel, I thought, gosh, I, I'd like to send, you know, what if I just sent him a packet of gold, double sharp, you know, the, I like a d- nice double-sided Sharpie. If they made gold ones, just sent them to, I'm sure he'd never get them, but it's just like, yes, he can change. Yes, except here's what I would have you call them. Call it, rather than calling them Sharpies, I'd call them Softies. Send him some Okay, some I think that softies. might be lost on him, but... <laughs> No, but the Sharpie part, you know, I'm playing with you. I, okay. I, mean, I, think it's, I think it's gift is what you're talking about and recognizing that he too, that he too is a two-legged. And there's a, it's from T.S. Eliot. He says, we shall not cease from exploration and the end of our exploring will be where we started and we'll know the place for the first time. But the two lines that are really important that go with that is with the voice of this calling and the drawing of this love. So it begins with the drawing of this love. We shall not cease from exploration. 
and the end of that will be where we started and we'll know the place for the first time through the unknown remembered gate. So it's seeing if we can actually goose each other into the recollection of being, into a recollection of consciousness and being here together. So send the Sharpies, baby, send them. I might, but they have so few people working in the White House. I mean, he might have to get his own mail. I don't know. Maybe so. (laughs) Um, I, I'm, I'm, I just cannot believe that we've been doing this for over an hour and a half. Oh, really? Hmm. Yes. So that's I, I mean, I could talk to you all day, and I think next time I talk to you, mm-hmm. uh, I'd really like you to have solved uh, the healthcare uh, <laughs> issue. I, okay. But you say, but you say, but people, I, I didn't get a chance to question you about what you were saying about healthcare. And uh-huh. yes, there are a lot of people in um, fear and suffering over that. If this okay, I did not prepare you for this question, but you, Diane, you you started the one of the first integrated healthcare clinics in the United States. I mm-hmm. heard from someone that you were the first person to coin the phrase "body mind" or "mind body" as one word. Is that true? Candace, Candace Pert wrote that in her book "Molecules of Emotion." I love so that. So she book. she yeah. So she's I forgot which pages on, but she really yeah she attributes it to me, which. I'm pretty amazed. I'm pretty amazed. And we were friends, so. <laughs> That's anyway, another yes. great book. The Molecules mm-hmm. of, Mo- of Emotion, you know, the thesis of that, basically how our thoughts affect our health and vice yeah. versa. Yeah. Is that right? How, yeah, and language. How we live in language. Mm-hmm. That's right, because even that you used to say, okay, just just do this bumper sticker conversation practice. And I would do mm-hmm. this. I would always go up to my friends and say, okay, okay, try this. Say, life's a bitch and then you die. Yeah. And then say, life is amazing. Live in gratitude. Uh-huh. Try that. Try saying your body feels completely different. Uh-huh. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Are you, um, are you shuffling just... papers? Uh, am I shuffling paper? I, was, I had a piece that was falling down. Okay. So didn't you hear that? Yeah. <laughs> so that's no, a, it's that's all good. good. Are you kidding? Good I listening. mean, if anyone made it through the last two podcasts and the audio journey that I've been on, this is a this is a, a this is a pleasure <laughs> cruise sonically. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> okay, but seriously, um, how do people get out of the fear? Because the the things that are coming, it seems like there's no practically available solution that will solve, you know, more health care for people and not cost an arm and a leg. How does that work even? Well, I think we're using words that we don't even know what we're talking about, like, like health care and um, what actually healing is as a lived bodied experience for a unique person. And I, I know in the work that I do in all these years, one of the um, important distinctions is that there's no such thing as people. Each person comes with a living, breathing, bodied experience. If I have five people and they all have the same label, migraine, they're not the same lived, bodied experience. Each of them is a whole life living. Each of us is a, each of them is a text and a texture and a context for that living, breathing experience of 
whatever squawky bit they've got. And what it, the label is the least important thing about it and about them. And um, so the question is, how do they learn to live with whatever they've got peacefully and to also disappear whatever squawky bits there are? Um, what's the medicine that helps? Medicine's whatever helps us live with whatever we've got. And since we're not getting out alive anyway, we know that in the end, the call will come and we'll have to go. Um, and we don't know what the exit route will be. We don't know. Seriously, we don't know. So it's staying in the unknowing peacefully as a beginner. One of the most powerful words in, in healing, and I think, is the word beginner, to be a beginner, peacefully a beginner. So we know that we're in a learning field. Um, Rumi says it's out beyond ideas of wrongdoing and rightdoing. There's a field. I'll meet you there. And it's a learning field where we're all learning what is it to be and to have squawky bits and how do we dance with them? How do we um, learn to live with whatever we've got? And I, I see that more and more medicines of different sorts are actually helping people think into the thought, um, how do you live with this? How are you living with this? Are you peaceful living with it? Could you live with this more peacefully? What would it take? Um, and what helps you with it? What's in your medicine bowl already? In your medicine bowl, I mean, everybody's a man, medicine man or a medicine woman because everybody's got some ways of being they already know help them. Whether it be simple like, you know, taking an extra drink of water or going for a walk or calling their friend. or it, that That's medicine. It's whatever helps us live. And sometimes the low-tech ways of going about tending ourselves uh, are really the most potent because they're remembering that, oh, yeah, this is natural scale. This is not... Um, this is this is not uh, high tech. This is very um, personable. This is very. How do we take care of what's going on with us? We even we even have you know like we can even Google the name of something and say how do other people think about this and do this and kind of like the old time clotheslines where grandmothers, mostly grandmothers, sometimes grandfathers would be lying, you know, putting clothes on the line and talking about, you know, my son's got this, and do you ever have anything like that? Well, what'd you do about it when you had it? So, like, sharing the goods, really, like the marketplace. Sharing what's, what's a, a way of looking, a bit, way of practicing that's more natural scale is a good phrase for it. Yeah, I, I've never heard that phrase before. What do you mean by that? Natural scale? Yeah. No, to, I mean, essentially it means that using our senses. I mean, a, a little, Ivan used to use, use the phrase um, that he said we're in a speed coma, going so fast, so for what? Um, and he talked about how when we learn to walk, it's, he calls it Mo and Joe, the left foot and the right foot, we learn to walk, and each foot kind of takes care of the other and says, okay, and that's how we learn, because we're not born walking, so we have to learn to do that. And then he says, but as soon as you can put this body into a, a vehicle that goes faster, way faster than this body could ever go, like if you in a train, the train's going really fast, and yet our bodies are just going the regular way that our bodies can go. Yeah. And so we, there's this kind of discrepancy between where I am going very fast, where my body can't go as fast as that. I mean, if I fly from here to Atlanta, Georgia, it's very different than if I walk. So that's natural scale would be more like walking or using my eyes to see something to 
listen, using my ears to hear life. And sort of more, what's you know the basic natural um, before <laughs> amplified. <laughs> I just I don't know which I love more, natural what? scale or speed coma. I just can't. Yeah. I can't decide. No, you don't. You, it's it's very interesting because they go together. I love talking to you so much. I think even when we have to let Dave shut down the microphones, I just want to keep talking oh. to you. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> well, I'm on his telephone, so I'm going to have to. I don't know what's in mind. Something was in mind that couldn't work, so I've got to figure that out. Well, uh, I've got to go less than natural scale to figure that out. Well, I think you're doing fantastically, and I am so grateful to be back in touch with you after all these years. It just, as Thank you. you know, I mean, I reached sometime between Friday the 13th, 2017, when uh-huh. I found out that my brother had passed away from, uh-huh. you know, from alcohol-related illness and... Mm-hmm. Watching Donald Trump's inaugural mm-hmm. speech on an airplane bound for mm-hmm. Los Angeles, sometime mm-hmm. in there, I I woke to the fact that you know, if not now, when? Yeah. For yeah. me, it's yeah. too much. Too much. You know, I like my life under the radar, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. but if you want to be part of the conversation. You've got to, as Brene Brown says, get into the arena. So Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I am, this is my way of doing that. And nobody ever does something like this without some degree of ego or vanity. And, but I believe that there is such value in conversations like this because I myself have gotten so much over the last year from podcasts. Mm -hmm. I think that I, I squished... I mean, I was at Stanford for four and a half years, and I think that I've outdone that in the last year because mm-hmm. it is quantum. I can learn mm-hmm. anything at any moment <coughs> while I'm gardening or riding a bike. So mm-hmm. I say this is valuable. And um, and well, in honor of my brother, in honor of my brother. Yes. and Yeah, what's his name? His name is Peter Allen. Peter Allen, yes, in honor of our brother, Peter Allen. Because he's our brother through you, he's all of our brothers through you, and um, and so we hold dear that boldness of his sister saying, "I'm going to the mat for you." Oh, freeze to the wall, brother! Oh, <laughs> you no, know, because it is, honey. Because you're 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 actually saying, "I'm going bold. I'm going more and more out in the open to give the gifts that I have to give." Because if you don't, who will give the gifts you have to give? <clears throat> in the marketplace of being. They're yours to give. And I'm part of your medicine bowl, so I'm going to help you do it, which is what we're doing right here, right now. I Helping do. Helping each other live. You yeah. have already helped me because <laughs> we started talking only a few weeks after that. We started trying to figure yeah. out how we were going to do this, and I was yeah. I was rediscovering my DIY roots from my 20s and with varying degrees of sonic success. and. Yeah. And the world needs this, Sarah. The world needs you, honey. And the question I have is for all of us, really, everybody who's listening. What does the world need to hear you say? Not what's going to be, you know, what would you like to say, but what does the world need to hear you say? What can we say about this that builds the world for, so there is a world for the children and the next generations? I think that they need 
me to say, I'm so excited about the opportunity that quote-unquote chaos provides us. Mm-hmm. We can rewrite our scripts yeah. in, this, in, in times where even what I love is that even the people whose job it is, who make a living predicting the future, are yeah. silent. There is yeah. radio silence, and that is a beautiful thing. <laughs> I think that's great. I do. I concur. You know what Maya Angelou says: "Whatever you get, give. Whatever you learn, teach." So that's what we're up to. And can I tell you one more thing? Because these are the umpires. Please. They go to the bar for a beer. Three umpires. <laughs> First one says, "I calls them like I sees them." The second one says, I calls them like they is. And the third one says, they ain't nothing till I calls them. (laughs) (laughs) That's the power of declaration, the power of language, the power of creating the world. They ain't nothing till I calls them. They ain't nothing till I calls them. This has been Diane M. Connolly. Go to packingforcrazytown.com and I'm going to put some links there um, and pictures and a picture of the Wuxing because that is definitely not a one-walk dog. And uh, and circling back when you said, you know, I I don't think that, I think that you're looking for something that I can't give you. Yeah. I was trying to sort of spectacularize the five elements. Well, well, it is my first book called Traditional Acupuncture, The Law of the Five Elements. I mean, I did write that book in 1975 when there wasn't anything written in English about nature and acupuncture. And so it was, and it, so, it sells, still sells like hotcakes. And so, so it's a fair question to ask me about the five elements. <laughs> Traditional Acupuncture, The Law of the Five Elements by Diane M. Connolly. <laughs> well, it's just a, now I realize something about that it's applied philosophy, and I didn't realize it then. Now I know that this is a, about a living, breathing happening. <laughs> a living, breathing happening and yeah, showing are, up as hot shit possibility. I hope everyone listening feels that. <laughs> that Yes, well, <laughs> it's remember, it's personal to me, but it's not private. It's through me for everybody. Right. So that when you're with me, you can know yourself as a loving, hot shit possibility. And that's what everybody's task is to find out, who am I here? What's the, what's the language needle that I am in the world? What do people know already when they're with me? What do they know about themselves and what do they know about life? And then us lining up with that. That's the promise I think you were talking about before. It's a whole work we do, at, at formerly known as Thai Sophia, called Calling and Commitment. Yes. I mean, there's so much more I want to ask you, but propriety... Well, it's not the end, is it? I mean, it's the end of maybe this evening, but yes. don't, can we, can we um, continue? Well, the thing is, when I set this goal, I said, well, I'm going to do six of them, and then I'm going to yeah. press pause and see if, A, if anyone finds meaning in them, if they're valuable uh-huh. to anyone, and B, right. am I having fun? And yeah. definitely having... Not being, you know, having someone else record you and make sure that your voice is captured well. Uh I am having fun at this moment. And, you know, part of, but there's always a fear. What if you throw a party and nobody comes? What if, what about haters? I'm not really built for haters. I've never been, I'm not really on social media. What if you throw a party and only haters come? (laughs) 
no I'm, joking. I'm joking. I'm yeah. joking. I'm not really scared now. I've, you know, <laughs> I'm not scared. There's people like you and Brene Brown in the world and so many other people, so many other podcasts that are are shoring up our spaceship and are, are giving us mindsets and rituals and regimens to mm-hmm. get ourselves awake and stay there. And you have mm-hmm. given us so much today. I am so grateful and so excited to put these two audio files together and mm-hmm. get them out there. And it's beautiful. Thank you. Mm-hmm. You're welcome, Sarah. And I, and I declare myself a beginner, a peaceful beginner in doing a pod. And so thank you. <laughs> Doing a pod, being a pod, pottling up. <laughs> so, thank you. <laughs> it's a free fall. It's a skydive. Just say yes, say thank you, and lean forward. God's breath. I've honestly been falling asleep listening to this podcast almost every night because I pick up new things that Diane says every time. It's not a one-walk dog. And so um, so this is my third episode, and I've never, I've never made... I have yet to make this ask because I know it's not nothing to ask you to write a review of a podcast, much less subscribe. I myself get kind of stressed out when I see them in my little icon mounting up 54 unlistened to podcasts, but I promise I'm not going to inundate you with an avalanche of content. Each one of these is a snowflake and I'll put my heart into it and I don't need you to buy anything. Yeah, Blue Apron doesn't know I exist. But I probably could do a commercial for them. Um, So if you can, wherever you subscribe to your podcasts and you feel like it, write a review and subscribe. And in the next little while, I'll have another one of these. I'm not 100% sure who it's going to be, um, but I have an idea. Thank you so much.